What's the risk posed by the WhatsApp vulnerability that's being targeted by attackers? Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz with Information Security Media Group, and to tell us more about the attack, I'm joined by Alan Woodward, a professor of computer science at the University of Surrey. Here's Alan. This is a really good example of how governments are moving because post-Snowden, all these sort of apps became end-to-end encryption. And actually breaking that encryption is, to all intents and purposes, is not practical. And so the concept of what's called equipment interference was introduced. And, and equipment interference is basically legalized hacking. Now, in the UK and the US and Russia and China, we've got big agencies that have the capability to actually you know, develop these sort of exploits. Um, but there are you know, certain governments, and they're, they're not small countries, but they don't necessarily have their sort of the, the inbuilt capability that they've got money, you know, places like Saudi Arabia, etc. They want to conduct targeted surveillance. So this isn't about mass surveillance, it's about targeted surveillance. And you find that the bottom line is that these agencies in those countries, they want the capability, but the only way they can do it is buy it off the shelf from a commercial company. Because what's happened is it's become a really active market sector. I mean, the company that's suspected of being behind this one, NSO, it was valued at a billion dollars not so very long ago. It was bought out by a venture capital company. I mean, this is big business. And, you know, if they find a zero day like they had with this one, because my understanding is WhatsApp really only became aware of it 10 days ago. And all versions prior to that were vulnerable. When NSO actually found it, who knows? But these zero days are worth hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds. And this one was particularly a nightmarish scenario because the user didn't have to do anything. I mean, this company has a flagship product called Pegasus, which allows you to turn on the microphone and the camera and all the rest of it. But normally you have to have somebody's phone to put it on or you fool them into installing it. So the user has to interact in some way for the malware to end up. This was zero touch. It was remote and the user didn't know. And in fact, the user you could change the logs. So the user might not even have known there was a hooky call. What's actually unclear at the moment, and I, nobody can tell me, and I, I haven't got the code, so I can't analyze it, is whether they were able to pivot out of WhatsApp and install something else. So were they able, for example, to pivot out of WhatsApp and install Pegasus? Normally, in something like iOS, the apps are very well sandboxed, so you can't, you can't get apps to interact very easily or with the operating system. So I suspect not, but... Even so, I mean, this equipment interference, endpoint equipment interference, is the obvious way for people to conduct surveillance. I mean, the, the people like NSO, were they were thought to be involved in helping the Saudis, for example, spy on people like Khashoggi. And one of the other things, one of the other reasons this came to light was there was a lawyer working for Amnesty International who was slightly suspicious. He had anecdotal evidence that somebody was picking up something. He didn't know how, and he had Citizen Labs analyze his phone. And they found that WhatsApp had, you know, they found it inside WhatsApp. So how long it's been going on for is kind of a bit of a moot point. We don't know. It's definitely been there. The vulnerability has been there. And it's a really old fashioned floor as well. It's a buffer overflow, which I haven't seen buffer overflows for yonks. It's, you kind of just don't see it anymore. Um, I thought we'd solved all those, that problem. But because of that, it was a relatively simple floor. I mean, it, it's not simple to exploit. But it's a kind of bit of an open window in many ways. I mean, credit in some way to the fact that WhatsApp did find it. But some of that was, I think, was due to the, the fact they got it from, you know, that other people were telling them that there was a problem.
The really nasty part about it, of course, was it was in the signaling portion of the software. So in the VoIP stack, you've got the call initiation part of the software. And what happens is that that call initiation, the signaling software, that's where the flaw was. So which is why you were able to make a call, inject your packets into the buffer overflow, run your remote code without the user having to answer the phone and then potentially alter the log so they have never even knew they were called. So it's a bit of a nightmare scenario, really, being able to get malware onto someone's phone, on someone's device just by using their phone number. And it, it is an interesting point as well, and that we do seem to have forgotten a little bit that username is actually part of your security credentials. Nowadays, it tends to be your phone number or your email address. And if it, it enables a lot of credential stuffing attacks where, you know, once they've got your email address, they just keep trying endless passwords. But if if your username is actually unique to the service as well, it becomes more difficult. It makes it more difficult to attack. But of course, something like WhatsApp is they're trying to make it easy to use. It's tr- they're trying to make it like dialing a phone number. And that, that doesn't help. That really doesn't help. So I suspect some of that may come up in a lot of conversations going forward. I mean, if you look at something like Signal, for example, which I use uh, and I trust implicitly, I mean, nothing's ever, we've found flaws in that before. Nothing's ever totally secure in terms of the app itself. But the real nightmare scenario is this, if equipment interference, if somebody can get something on your device, then, you know, game over, really. There's no point in encrypting it because they can read it. Yeah. And then the Grug, I think was talking about how some of the victims, or one of the victims anyway, they tried 10, 12 times, maybe. Maybe they weren't getting the feedback they wanted, so they just kept trying again. I'm not really clear what was happening there. No, to be honest, I don't either. I mean, some of the tools are supposed to be very easy to use. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, I guess some of the people trying to employ them, even though they might have a lot of money, might not have a lot of experience. So you do need to launch them in the right way. If you don't, you know, it, and that, that's where it's sort of little footprints are left in the butter. You know, you, you might see little fingerprints being left of an attack. But if someone knows what they're doing with this one, for example, it left no fingerprints at all. You had to get hold of the physical phone and analyze that particular instance of WhatsApp to know that it, that it had been corrupted. You know, the user would never have known. Mm-hmm. And as I'm saying, at the moment, we're assuming that the patch that's been put out today solves the problem. But what we don't know is whether they got outside the app, in which case, how do you know what else was interfered with? Because all all that the WhatsApp update does is update WhatsApp. (laughs) It doesn't look at the rest of the phone. So that's the kind of, to me, that's a bit of an open question at the moment. Nobody's been able to answer that one for me. So I'm I'm just uh, slightly worried. It it shouldn't be possible. It definitely shouldn't be possible on iOS because that's very tightly controlled. Android, they have the same process, but it's less tightly enforced. So if it were to happen anywhere, I suspect it would be on Android. But obviously, key point here is that both are at risk, iOS oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, Android, yeah. I mean, a lot of people think, you know, iOS, there's no malware at all. There is an iOS malware out there. Getting onto this machine is often the problem. But once it's on there, it's there. I mean, and, and there are antivirus checkers and all the rest of it, security checkers. But no, it's definitely possible to have an iOS device. So WhatsApp, update immediately, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Go to whichever your app store is and update it. First thing I did this morning, uh, because anything before today should be considered vulnerable. And then as you were saying, if it's really sensitive, look at using Signal. Personally, I do. 
one of the problems that a lot of people don't quite understand when they're using some of the, and not just WhatsApp, but some of the other messaging systems, take using it on an Apple phone, for example. Um, they sometimes have everything being backed up into the iCloud, for example. So they're encrypting all their messages, but not necessarily understanding that it's all sitting there in the iCloud. And if someone could you know, get access to the iCloud, which is not impossible, <laughs> as we say, especially for governments, they can read it. So these apps are secure only if you configure them in the right way. I mean, they make a lot of it being end-to-end encrypted, and it is. That's true. But you can kind of, you can do that. It's a bit like locking the front door and leaving the window open next to it. I mean, you really need to think about it. And I personally, I use Signal because I know it's not backed up anywhere. It's ethereal, you know, et cetera. But WhatsApp has obviously got the traction because of Facebook. So what I would say to people is look at how to make sure you're using it truly privately and that you're not leaving, you know, you're not leaving that window open next to the locked door. And that's a wrap on WhatsApp flaws being used to automatically install spyware on people's devices. Many thanks to Alan Woodward of the University of Surrey. I'm Matthew Schwartz with Information Security Media Group. Thank you very much for joining us.